Welcome to the Bioethics Podcast, a project of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. I'm Ben Mitchell, Director of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. And in this edition of the Bioethics Podcast, we bring you an entry from a series of papers presented at our recent conference, Bioethics Nexus, the Future of Healthcare Science and Humanity. A popular theme at the conference explored the issues surrounding transhumanism. In this particular edition, we present the last of several papers that explored this theme. In this paper, Matthew Epinette, Director of Communications at Americans United for Life, presents his paper, Transhumanism and the Convergence of Emerging Technologies. In this talk, Mr. Epinette explores the transhumanist movement, a movement that seeks transcendence in the midst of finite existence in its search for immortality. Epinette concludes by critically examining the theological assumptions implicit in a technicist pursuit for a human future. First, though, please mark your calendars today for our first annual Phoenix Conference. The focus of the conference will be on the ethics of aging, death, and immortality. Confirmed speakers include S.J. Olshansky, Ph.D., University of Illinois at Chicago, John Keown, D. Phil, Georgetown University, Ava Samuelson, Ph.D., Arizona State University, and C. Christopher Hook, M.D., the Mayo Clinic. Highlights will include a debate between J. Olshansky and Aubrey de Grey, a biomedical gerontologist. More details will be forthcoming, but plan on joining us March 3rd through 8th, 2008. Academic and continuing education opportunities will be available. I was born human, and this was merely due to the hand of fate acting in a particular place and time. But while fate made me human, it also gave me the power to do something about it. The ability to change myself, to upgrade my human form with the aid of technology, to become cyborg, part human, part machine. This is the extraordinary story of my adventure as the first human entering into a cyborg, a cyber world. A world which most likely will become the next evolutionary step for humankind. Uh, now, you might think this is the beginning of a science fiction novel, but it's not. It is the beginning of uh, Kevin Warwick's book uh, called I, Cyborg, where he recounts his experience of becoming what he calls the world's first cyborg. Uh, now, there are a number of issues here. Um, Kevin Warwick has a PhD. He is a, a professor in uh, reading, University of Reading in England. Uh, he very largely, I think, overstates the case of what it is to be the world's first cyborg. He had a chip implanted in his arm that was, uh, if you're familiar with an RFID chip, uh, it's the magic behind my bus pass, uh, that when I get on the bus, I touch it to a sensor, it beeps, and I then build $1.75 for my bus ride. He had one of these implanted in his arm so that when he would go into the room, uh, the light would know to come on or the coffee pot would know to come on. Uh, I, I don't know that I would turn that cyborg, but he's able to talk about these things with enthusiasm, and he's really getting, particularly in England, getting getting uh, a lot of public attention and public interest in this merger of man and machine. But he is uh, one of many transhumanists, and transhuman, we'll talk a little bit about the term in a minute, but I've kind of mentioned already, they believe that we're just the product of the hand of fate, and if you were here last night for Dr. Plantinga's talk, he talked a lot about uh, evolution and, and evolutionary theory and, and how it, it's random or it's unguided and that's you know they're very much bought into that idea and this present life this is it you know it's 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 now or never it's it's here 
uh, and nowhere else. And of course, no greater being or higher power exists. So we're on our own. It's up to us to make the most of what we can make of our lives and ourselves. And yet, they have this sort of innate longing for transcendence, to be a part of something larger or to be a part of something bigger. And of course, uh, those of us who are Christians would immediately want to question, where does that come from? Why, why do you feel that longing? Um, and, and reaching for immortality and don't, not wanting to die, wanting to cheat death, avoid death, maneuver away from death. So they started an association. I mean, this is what we do. We're humans. We build groups. Um, and the World Transhumanist Association was founded by a, a guy who has a philosophy professor at Oxford. And uh, their stated goals are to pursue transcendence and immortality. And they're looking for technology, looking to technology to become post-human. And it's really driven by a sense that whatever can be done scientifically and technologically, it should, in fact, be done. And again, this is just what Dr. Plamingham was talking about last night, this, this idea that science, um, science has no resources to tell us whether or not something is good to do. It, it can tell us whether it can be done, um, but these other things are add-ons. They're metaphysical or philosophical or theological add-ons. And so this, this should be done. This should question. This is not a scientific question. We can't, we can't test for this. We can't form a hypothesis. This is a philosophical, ethical, uh, and ultimately, I would argue, theological question should be done. But they want to make it a scientific question, uh, and, and basically the, the can drives the should. Uh, I believe there are two universal questions. That The two questions are, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean, and Nigel talked a little bit about this, what does it mean to be one of us? And I think... Uh, that flows from that, sort of on the internal perspective, what does it mean to be one of us, also flows from, another question that flows from that is, how do I live my life in a way that brings happiness, that brings fulfillment? This is that longing for transcendence, longing to be a part of something larger than what we are, uh, and I believe even longing uh, for immortality. I think these are innate human drives. Uh, those, those quotes actually come from the late John Paul, one of his writings, Pope John Paul. And so they're, like I mentioned, they're looking to technology, they're wanting to apply it to the human body, so bio, the use of biological processes and technology to solve problems or make useful products. And we see biotechnology all over the place, this applied biology, um, DNA fingerprinting, I mean, we all watch CSI Miami, and we all know about DNA fingerprinting. Uh, and even larger than that, uh, in real crimes, um, there's a center at Northwestern University that has done a great deal of work in going back and testing DNA evidence from old cases uh, for people who protest that they are uh, innocent. And they've, they've found some of both. They've found people that are in jail who claim to be innocent who are, in fact, uh, guilty on the DNA evidence and some uh, that are innocent. Genetically modified foods, um, which is very controversial in the UK, not nearly so controversial in the United States. Synthetic insulin is another example of biotechnology. Um, and home pregnancy tests kind of a more run-of-the-mill everyday, uh, that's a biotechnology. It's a useful product made from technology uh, using biological or applied to biological processes. Um, I'm sure you've heard this century referred to as the biotech century. Uh, the last century often referred to as the physics century due to Einstein's work and the development of the atomic bomb. We now live in the biotech century. And so if you think about how much of the developments in our world in the last century were driven by physics, and here we are very early on in this century, and it's just mind-boggling to think about what the development in this century is going to be 
that will be driven by uh, biotechnology. Uh, so uh, to get back to the transhumanists, they believe that biotechnology is the source of tools for improving the human condition. And so, uh, you know, we as Christians, you know, we, we have this idea of the human condition, that we're fallen, that we're uh, you know, separated from God, alienated from God, and that this explains the, the evil, the brokenness in our world. I'm not sure that transhumanists would necessarily endo- endorse the idea that evil even exists. But they do identify this human condition. It's not given a lot of detail as to what it is. Uh, It's just kind of understood that there's this universal human condition, that we die, that we get sick, that our bodies break, um, and and that things are not the way that we might want for them to be. Uh, But again, I don't know that they would necessarily use the term evil for that. Some, Some would, some would not. Um, and so what are some of the biotechnologies that they're looking for? Well, there's, there's genetics. And um, as you know, I'm sure the human genome sequence was completed uh, a few years ago. And this is giving us vast insight into uh, hereditary uh, conditions, uh, into how it is that we uh, grow and develop. Uh, many things are single, uh, not many, but few things are single gene uh, controlled. And then there's a... Um, a sort of interaction between nurture and nature, genetics and environment, uh, that makes up a lot of who we are and what we become. Uh, and then there is an interplay of many, many genes that can control uh, or help to um, direct uh, how we grow and live. Stem cell research is another uh, important uh, biotechnology that transhumanists are looking to, uh, because as I mentioned, and as we all know, our bodies break down and we grow old and we age. And the idea is that ultimately, and if you if you look back at some of the early work done in stem cell research and some of the early promoters, they were very vocal that they felt like stem cell research was a key toward immortality. That we could, by uh, using stem cells, either grow new organs or replace the cells in our bodies that are breaking down and wearing out. Uh, cloning, another, uh, and, and some of the, you know, I think Nigel said, they, uh, they run to absurdity faster than we can chase them there. And there are even transhumanists that believe that they could create a clone of themselves and then somehow transport their consciousness into that clone. So, I mean, really, really running to the absurd. But even more than that, this idea that um, you may have heard Ron Reagan Jr. at the Democratic Convention several years ago mentioned that you would be able to go to the hospital and they would have all of these cells uh, sort of uh, in a file cabinet just waiting for you to come in uh, with your needs and that they could uh, regrow uh, spare parts, basically, for you. Uh, and then nanotechnology, the science of very, very tiny things. Uh, this is an, another important uh, idea to transhumanists. There's actually quite a bit of work going on in nanotechnology, and it's being very largely driven in the United States, particularly by the Defense Department. And so our government is doing quite a bit of work on nanotechnology. Uh, for example, implanting uh, tiny um, sensors that would report um, vital statistics of the soldiers, so that if they're overheating, they could be cooled down. And combining that with the sort of intelligent garments that could either heat or cool uh, as needed. Uh, it's amazing. I don't know, if you if this is something that you're interested in, I would encourage you to get a subscription to Wired Magazine. It costs $5 to buy it on the stand. You can get a subscription for $10 or $12 for the whole year. And they give a lot of coverage to this. And of course, Wired, they're very, you know, very pro-technology. 
Um, but they, they report quite often on a lot of these kinds of technological, scientific, biotechnological developments. Uh, so here's, a, here's an example. There's a whole field of transhumanist art, and here's an example of one piece of art. And this is kind of imagining what uh, a fully sort of tweaked out human being might be. So there's, you see, starting at the head, the uh, nanotech data storage memory system. So uh, in the metabrain, uh, some kind of error, error correction device, uh, cardio flow function monitor, solar protected skin with tone texture changeability. Um, so you know you you, uh, you want to look tan when you just uh, you know you type something or whatever and your skin is instantly tan. Turbocharged suspension flexibility, replacement organs, biosensors. Uh, internal whole body navigational grid. I, I have no idea what that means. Uh, maybe they're turning people into homing pigeons or something. Um, the uh, in vivo fiber optic communications backbone. Uh, so this is just one sort of imagination of what, uh, like I said, a tweaked out human being might become. Transhumanists, I mean, clearly they believe that technology is inherently good. And again, this is that what can be done should be done. That they're there are really no drawbacks here. It's just uh, it has to be rightly applied. Um, and the technology will solve our problems. Uh, and it, it becomes a very utopian kind of way of thinking and way of looking at the world is that, you know, if we could just get the right technologies and if we could apply them in the right way, this would solve all of our problems. Uh, and they, they would, I think, identify these three areas as problems. Contingency. We're contingent beings. Uh, we're not limitless. Uh, dependency. We, we are very dependent on the air that we breathe. Uh, our planet is really within very uh, tight confines of temperature and humidity uh, when you look at the broad spectrum of possible temperatures. And we're very dependent on a particular atmosphere in which to live. And of course, finitude, which sort of encompasses all of these. We're finite creatures. We're not going to live forever, at least not uh, in this present state. And what it becomes is a kind of technicism, this worship of technology, this belief in technology as, as a savior almost, as, as the, the fix for what ails us. Uh, I think a lot of the debate, um, or one of the big unanswered areas, un, uh, not, not necessarily unaddressed, but maybe underaddressed areas uh, in talking about all this, is the debate between therapy and enhancement. How do we decide between therapy and enhancement? And, and can we draw a line? Can we, can we rule out enhancement instead of therapy? And what I mean by that is therapy traditionally has dealt with the treatment of disease, the restoration of the normal state, whatever that is. And enhancement uh, takes a step beyond that to try and make things better than well. So if you think of uh, uh, an injury, uh, a broken bone, say, uh, and then that bone is uh, is healed. Well, that's that's the restoration of health. That's therapy. But if then something is done to make the bone stronger than normal, uh, another example is uh, what's called Tommy John's surgery, which is uh, named after a pitcher. Again, this is an article from Wired magazine. I should get I should get compensation for all this promo. Uh, and it's a surgery that they do somehow in the tendons or the ligaments of the arms of pitchers. And what they found is that after uh, a, a pitcher has undergone the surgery, he is actually able to throw faster because it tightens those, those tendons or ligaments. Uh, and so now, so that's a therapy. You know, he's throwing, he tears it, they go in and fix it. So that's a therapy. But let's say I'm in college 
and I'm throwing 75, 80 miles an hour, but I'm going to have to throw 85, 95 miles an hour to make it into the pros. So I go and have the surgery tighten up my tendon, get that extra, extra pop on the ball. That's enhancement. And I think this is an area that, like I said, has been very under-addressed. How do we decide? What, what kind of moral framework can we construct to decide? Is, is that a problem? Is it a problem for a college kid to have surgery on his arm to get an extra pop on the ball? How do we decide? How, do we, how can we rule that in or rule that out? Uh, and I, think, I, I just think there's, there's a lot of work that remains to be done there. Uh, another one that you may be familiar with, particularly some of our younger audience members, is taking Ritalin to help study. Uh, that's an enhancement. Taking Ritalin because you have a bona fide attention problem, that's a therapy. But how do we decide? When is, it, when is taking Ritalin, where do we cross that line? How do we decide uh, to rule that in or out? Uh, LASIK surgery. Uh, you can get LASIK surgery to get you down to like 2010. Some people are born with 2010 vision. Uh, some of us were born with really bad 2200 vision. Um, but what's an appropriate use of LASIK? Is, is, is getting 2010 with LASIK, is that, a, is that enhancement? Is that therapy? Uh, I don't know. The term transhuman uh, is a mashup of the words transitional and human. And so if you think of a continuum here, there's human, transhuman, and then posthuman. And this posthuman, well, we don't even know what that's like. Uh, we just know that it's not, it's not exactly human. And this transhuman condition, you just you kind of self-select. You just, I want to be, I want to become post-human when that becomes an option. So I'm going to start working now on whatever I can do. And so there's a guy, uh, Audrey de Grey, is, Aubrey de Grey is his name, and he takes like 250 pills a day. This is part of his transhuman regimen uh, because what he wants to do is be sure that he lives long enough to see this post-human day. But to be post-human is to no longer unambiguously be human by current standards. So what does that mean? Well, I don't know. It's a kind of a post-modern sort of thing anyway. Uh, but it's, it's not like us. It's better than well. It's better than, better than us. Better than human, at least in theory. Uh, the singularity, which is to get to Ray Kurzweil, the singularity is the point in time where machine intelligence exceeds human intelligence. And so this is a big part of the transhuman agenda, is trying to work to improve uh, computer or machine intelligence. Because if we can make the machines smarter, if we can make the machines smarter than us, then that machine can build another machine that's even smarter. And that, those machines then will be able to figure out how to help us get from human all the way to post-human. And it's a term that comes from the world of physics. And it's just impossible to describe accurately what lies beyond a singularity. And so a black hole is a form of singularity. We, we're not able accurately to describe what's on the other side of a black hole. That's one example of a singularity. And so the moment in time where uh, machine intelligence exceeds human intelligence, well, we can't describe what the world is going to be like. We really don't know. We just hope for the best. Uh, and Ray Kurzweil has written a book called The Singularity is Near. And he predicts that the singularity uh, not only is near, but in this book he says that it will be in 2045. So we have some time. We can enjoy things for a while. And he's got these charts and graphs just showing how you, know, you take Moore's Law, which talks about the doubling of computer power every 18 months, uh, and, and you begin what you'll see is an exponential curve that, that curves upward very rapidly uh, as it progresses. 
And so he's predicting that this singularity, that machine intelligence will exceed human intelligence in 2045. And, and that at that point, the machines will be able to uh, make us, show us how to become post-human, how to upgrade the human form. Uh, and so this is why you need to get on board with the transhumanist agenda now so that we can make friends with the machines uh, so that they will want to help us upgrade. Just the comment in his book, um, Age of Spiritual Machines, I think it was around 2020 he was hoping for all this to be possible, so it sounds like it's postponed. Okay, yeah. He must have gotten smarter, so it's going to take the machines longer. That, that's probably it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're raising the bar. Wait, do you have a comment? Okay. Uh, so how did they come up with this? What are what is sort of the transhumanist ethical philosophy? I, I mentioned that you know I think we need a framework for thinking through these issues. The framework that they use is based on a notion, first of all, of radical personal autonomy. Uh, it's kind of libertarianism to the max that anyone ought to be able to do anything so long as it doesn't infringe on anyone else. Uh, and this infringe on anyone else is a shifting kind of notion. Uh, and what, what does it mean for what I'm doing to infringe on you? Uh, that's going to be a pretty high bar on their, on their uh, equation. Uh, and then a utilitarianism. You know, they believe that if we're able to upgrade the human form, that this will do the most good for the most people. Uh, there are a number of flaws with utilitarianism, and of course every one of them on bright display when it comes to transhumanists. And, and I've already mentioned libertarianism. So it's this, this combination of whatever I want to do that will make me, if everybody can do what makes them the most happy, then everyone will be the most happy, right? I mean, there's no possible conflict with that, is there? And so what I see at the end of the day is that transhumanism and Christianity offer competing accounts on, on a lot of the same sort of marks. Uh, and I think that if in life, as you look around, uh, that we can often identify things that are a corruption of what is good and beautiful and true. Uh, and, and we can see this in a number of areas of life. But just relating directly to transhumanists, uh, you know, they're uh, going on this unguided naturalistic evolution in terms of uh, uh, origins. And of course, Christians, some, some sort of theistic model of, of creation, whether, uh, as the talk last night, identified a whole continuum uh, of perspectives there from sort of the young earth, very literal interpretation to some kind of a theistically guided evolutionary process. But, but again, so if we take this, this column to be sort of the good, the beautiful, and the true, and we talk about uh, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation as kind of four markers, what we'll see is that the transhumanists, they have sort of a, a, faulty, a faulty parallel uh, or, a, or a weakened version. Uh, so next, the human condition, which I've already mentioned. And Christianity, we talk about the fall, that sin is the thing that has separated us from God, that explains the hurt and the fall and, and the brokenness of our world, the death in our world. They just take it as a given, this human condition. Uh, next, we look for redemption. We're, of course, looking for redemption from a Savior. They're looking for biotechnology as their Redeemer, as their Savior. And we look forward to a consummation, a time where we will be with God. They look for the singularity, a time when we will be with the machines, as it were. And again, I think that there are a number of things in life that we can look at and see how they are uh, perversions of what is true. And I, I think that um, 
that this is exactly what's going on in transhumanism. This is what is good and beautiful and true. They are seeking it, uh, but their minds have been blinded. Uh, and this is what they've come up with. So what's important to take away from this? I think one important thing is don't miss the way that the world looks to other people. You know, they're seeing, they're longing for the truth and coming up with things that are shades of the truth or perversions of the truth. Um, the, a lot of the beliefs that underlie transhumanism, this kind of technicism, this idea that technology is going to solve our problems, that technology is going to take us to the next level, it's going to help us overcome whatever it is we're suffering in life, that's the same belief that underlies a lot of our culture. We live in a very consumerist-driven culture. We live in a very high-technology culture. And I, I'm cer certainly not anti-technology, um, but I know that technology brings both benefits and burdens, and I think that that's something that transhumanists really miss. Uh, and then recognizing, I think, that as we recognize that contingency and dependency and finitude are a part of life, that this will ultimately help us care better for each other, uh, rather than to reject those ideas uh, or to see those as something to be to be eliminated or removed entirely, uh, the recognition really helps us to care for one another. That was a third of several papers on the topic of transhumanism presented at our 14th annual conference, Bioethics Nexus. The title of the paper was Transhumanism and the Convergence of Emerging Technologies, delivered by Matthew Epinette. Matthew Epinette is Director of Communications at Americans United for Life, Mr. Epinette holds an MBA from Louisiana Tech and an MA in bioethics from Trinity International University. His master's thesis explored transhumanism. The Bioethics Podcast is a project of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, exploring the nexus of biomedicine, biotechnology, and our common humanity. Our website, cbhd.org, has a wealth of materials on a wide range of bioethical issues. For more information about the Center and to support the work of the Center and projects like this podcast, please visit our website, cbhd.org. My name is Ben Mitchell, and I'm Director of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. Thank you for listening to the Bioethics Podcast.